was a, definitely a beautiful picture. I was thinking of the shadow uh, from the heat. Just imagine, you know, just recalling the times you work in the hot sun and you're just, ah, and you get into the shade and the cool breeze is blowing. It's so refreshing. That's our God. That is our God. Praise the Lord. Okay, again this evening, our uh, title of the week, A Healthy Community of Believers, and one of a thing for you as visitors, I proposed each evening to bring a uh, something, an interesting point on the honeybees, and it has really fascinated me how much there is to learn, and how many lessons there are to learn that we can learn as far as community. I mean, they do community right. We're only trying to do it. They do it right. But I think by God's grace and His Spirit, we definitely can also have community in such a way that God is glorified and the saints are blessed. And so tonight, just a couple of things on the honeybee. The first one is, and this may be some interesting information for you because it seems like all of us get stung once in a while. Uh, it is interesting that honeybees, of course, they're different from most of the rest of bees. When they sting, it leaves them fatally wounded. It's more than just the stinger, actually, that is released when a bee stings you, a honeybee, that is. You have the barb, you have the protractor, and then you have the retractor muscles, and then you have the venom sac. So I like to just illustrate that because there's, by knowing this uh, may help a little bit when you get a sting. So we have the, the barb that goes in, and then you have muscles around that, uh, right, right on the barb, and then you have the venom sac. And of course, it's so small, you really don't see much more than the stinger. But, what is interesting, when that bee stings you, this whole thing is released, which leaves a fatal wound on the bee. But, these muscles continue to retract and contract. And so, that's why it's so important if you get stung, make sure you get the stinger out as soon as you can because it continues to pump and it's emptying that sack and it's going into your foot or wherever you got stung. So, the sooner you can get out, the better. Now, when you understand this picture though, then it becomes important how you take the stinger out. You know, the quickest thing is grab your fingers, grab it and pull it out. Well, in grabbing it, what are you doing? You're squeezing the venom more venom in. So if you think you're helping your little child by quickly squeezing and pulling it out, you might actually be making it worse. The idea is to, if your fingernails are long enough, it's good to get your fingernails down at the base of the skin on the, the far down on the stinger as you can and pinch it and pull it out that way. Because by squeezing it, you end up pushing more of that stuff in. So the sooner you get it out and how you get it out makes a big difference. No matter which side you use. Okay. I guess it works. 
Okay, very good. Uh, tonight, my s- title, my subject is on separation, and I'd like to uh, give a little bit of a, a, share a little bit of information with you uh, as far as honey. Nectar, of course, as we know, is the bee's carbohydrate source. It's their food. It's their energy. Uh, nectar is turned into honey by the bees adding an enzyme. And that enzyme is called invertase. And it converts sugar to a chemical form. And as you know, honey is in such a form that mold and bacteria has a hard time penetrating it or or, uh, metabolizing it or digesting it. Honey, you don't have to keep it you know, in the cool or that kind of thing. It's that uh, enzyme that is added by the bee to the nectar, which makes it honey, which makes that both mold and bacteria has a hard time growing. And I think that's a beautiful, beautiful lesson when the enzyme of the Holy Spirit is living within you and within me. It's difficult for the mold or the world or the sin around us to penetrate us because we have that enzyme, which is the Spirit of God in us. Now, the bees add another class of enzymes, and it's called oxidasis. And some of the sugar gets converted into, as we know it, hydrogen peroxide. You've probably heard already that honey is good for uh, killing some bacteria, that kind of thing, put it on your wounds. And so, uh, it is uh, hydrogen peroxide is a potent antibiotic. So, as honey is, has antiseptic properties, so the blood of Jesus Christ has antiseptic properties. First John 1.9, we confess our sin. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us. From all unrighteousness. Not some, not most of it, but all of it. So that is honey. Just some things that bees add that makes it what it is to us. Okay, separated unto God. That is our title tonight. Separated unto God. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. We want to take these verses. We want to pull them apart. We want to take a good look at them. And we want to see if we can understand a little, just enough about the time that the Apostle Paul wrote this to see if we can get any idea of, was he referring to something specific or what? 2 Corinthians 6, why don't we just start reading at verse 11, we'll read to the end of the chapter. O ye Corinthians... Our mouth is open unto you. Our heart is enlarged. <clears throat> you're not straightening us, but you're straightening your own bowels. Now for a recompense in the same, I speak as unto my children. Be ye also enlarged. And as we learned the other evening, Paul's heart is wide open. His arms are spread open. He wants to receive the Corinthians. The problem with their relationship is not him. His heart is open. His arms are widespread. The problem is with them. And his beg was, open up your heart. 
Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what concourse hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? And what agreement hath the temple of God with idols? And answer is, nothing. Nothing. For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. Let's do a little bit of work on the board. Uh, we're going to take verse 17 there and 18, and we're going to see if we can make a little bit of a diagram to understand these verses. There are three commands in verse 17. Tell me what they are. Three commands. Come out. That's the first command. Come out. Second one. Be separate. And the third. Touch not. Three commands. Three very specific commands. Okay. Very good. Now, um, who, is, who is the command given to? Or who's, who's he speaking to? Us. Right? Us. The Corinthians. Today it's us. It's our responsibility. These commands are our responsibility. Okay. And what is the result... If we obey the commands, what's the result? I will receive you. I will receive you. I ain't that really something. I thought when I confess my sin and I repent of my sin and Jesus Christ forgives my sin, that he receives me. What do you do with this? Oh, it must be a little more to it. That is definitely a very important part, but maybe there's a little more to it. Okay. So he says, I will receive you. And he says, what? I will be what? Father. I will be a father. And if we actually observe this, we will be what? His sons and daughters. And so, of course, that makes us his family. Now, a question. Are these suggestions? Are these good ideas? Are this, is this kind of a good thing? It's a command. That's what it is. It is a command. It's not a suggestion. It's not a good idea. It's a command. It's a command that is given to us.
It's a command, but sometimes, you know, we kind of take them as good, as like a suggestion. And then we can kind of do with, it's a little like Johnny. Johnny used to go to school, he used to walk to school, and every day he walked by a pond. In the summer, sometimes on the way home from school, he would swim, and he enjoyed swimming. One morning, Johnny got up, he had a cold. And his mom said, now on your way home from school, I don't want you to swim. Johnny goes to school and on the way home, well, at the end of the day, he comes walking to the house and Johnny's all wet. And mom says, Johnny, why did you go swimming? Why did you take your swimming trunks along? He said, well, just in case I would get tempted. Just in case I get tempted. You know, his mother's command was not a command. It was like, well, if you want to take it, fine. If you don't want to take it, it's kind of up to you. You know, however you feel at the time. So I'm going to take my fish uh, swimming trunks along just in case it seems favorable. These are commands. Come out. Be separate. And touch not. Come out. Be separate. And touch not. Okay, let's consider a moment. As we consider the context of 2 Corinthians 6, 17 and 18, uh, if we study the Corinthian church, we know that they were, there were the idols' temples, there were the pagan temple, and there were pagan temple practices. And in the first century, as I understand it, the temple was the city's center of social activities. So if you want it, a social night out, you went to the temple. That was Corinth. It was the pagan temple. As I understand it, the temples at that time was somewhat similar to what we would consider a restaurant today where you could actually, um, you can actually reserve a room in the restaurant and you can have your parties there. And so in, in here they would have birthday parties, they were special occasions and it was a place just to bring a bunch of people together and just have a stimulating conversation. And of course, then you have all the other idolatry and everything else that went along with it. Corinthians went on this basis. Well, the idol is nothing. The idol is nothing. So since the idol is nothing, then it doesn't really matter if we go to the temple. Because the idol's nothing to me. I know it's nothing. And so they were going to the temple and they were going to the social activities and they were being involved in the social activities. And that is probably why the Apostle Paul said, when it comes to the idol temples, when it comes to the social activities in the city, when it comes to all the frivolity that goes on there, here it is, three commands. Come out. Be separate and touch not. Johnny, you weren't supposed to touch the water. Touch not. What does it mean? Commands like this mean, touch not. Come out. They're not however you would feel like doing it. Because of the lack of separation. Because of the lack of separation. There's some things that the Corinthian church faced. One of them was... Lawsuits, another one was 
sexual immorality, because they did not come out, because they would not be separate, because they would, didn't observe, touch not, you had lawsuits, you had sexual immorality, you had wrong views of marriage, they, we, there was participation in the idol feast, there was the defilement of the Lord's Supper, there was false doctrine, and there was a tolerance of sin. And a lot of that was simply because the Corinthians were not, uh, were not observing this and the Apostle Paul came and said, it is your responsibility to come out, to be separate, to touch not. God the Father will receive you. He will be our Father. We'll be sons and daughters and that makes us part of His family. But the only way you can be part of His, fa- his family is if you observe that. It's the only way. Turn over to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. Who likes to be different? Who likes to stay now? A lot of us don't. 1 Peter 4 verse 3. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lust, excessive wine, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you. Oh, so, it is okay, it is right, not to run to the same excess of riot. And here I believe they used to do that, now they don't do it anymore, and there's people looking at them and said, you're strange, what is wrong with you? Shame on you. That is great. That is wonderful. They tell me losing separation, and get this one, losing separation is is historically the first step out into the world. Losing separation is historically the first step out into the world. I think that's something that we should remember. How often... Has that been the door for the Old Testament people? God told them, when you go into Canaan land, what are you supposed to do? You're supposed to kill everybody. You are supposed to destroy them. You're not supposed to save everyone. And of course, we know they did not utterly destroy the Canaanites. And what was the result? The result was sexual immorality, desire for a human king, idolatry, child sacrifice, and a host of other false doctrine because they didn't make that clear cut. They did not come out. They did not be separate. They did not honor, do not touch. God framed many, many different situations in the Old Testament for us to observe this whole idea of separation. And we could talk about all the separations. You weren't supposed to use a mule and a a donkey and a horse, you weren't supposed to hook them together to plow. Uh, you know, you weren't supposed to put your know, meat and milk together. And the list goes on. There was so much of this. Separation, separation. There was even people that God gave us and framed them around as for us to observe this whole thing of separation. We have Abraham and Lot. The land got too full for both of them. And so Abraham said to Lot, if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. And of course, then Lot made the decision. 
And he chose not to be separate. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. And if you follow his story, his story is that somehow he got from the tent that was pitched towards Sodom to one day sitting in the gate of the city. I wonder how that happened. I know how it happened. Because he left the door open towards Sodom. And so we see that losing separation is historically the first step out into the world. And so, of course, next thing we know, he's in the city. His family's in the city. His children had married men in the city. And when ultimately he was to be rescued, he lost practically all of his family. And immorality went along with it. <clears throat> Joseph, and turning your Bibles to Genesis 43, I just observed something a couple of weeks ago that was, I found very interesting. You know, you see uh, Joseph down there in Egypt for so many years, and he was actually then right in, quote, the White House of Egypt. And, you know, to kind of wonder, did he maintain his separation or didn't he? How well did he do? We know Daniel, when he was carried off to the king, and he was supposed to be one of the top men, possibly chosen to be to possibly be picked as one of the top men, he asked to continue to eat a separate diet. He con continued to have that separation. But uh, here we have Joseph, Genesis 43, and this is the time when his brothers have come out to see him, and of course he had challenged them, and then he was setting out a feast for them. In verse 31 it says, And he washed his face, and went out and refrained himself and said, set on bread. And so now they're setting the table. Watch how they set the table. And they set on for him by himself and for them by themselves and for the Egyptians which did eat with them by themselves. Why? Because the Egyptians might not eat bread with the Hebrews. For that's an abomination unto the Egyptians. What I see there is I have no idea why Joseph, in being in with the king, next man to the king, why did not the governor of Egypt, why didn't he just eat with the rest of the men? I'm sure by that time he should have just felt at home with them. But apparently, even now yet, he did not eat with the Egyptians. He ate separate. I'm going to just suppose that they knew that he's a Hebrew. He carried that with him. He was still known as a Hebrew. And so they still wouldn't eat with him. Amazing. Totally amazing. Here's a man down in Egypt for how many years? I don't know. Lots and lots of years. He could have easily incorporated into that thing. And they probably would have had a lot of good reasons for doing it. One of the excuses could have been, look at how unfair my family was to me. And so I feel like I have the right. But he maintained that separation. Historically, Losing separation is the first step out into the world. So I appreciated seeing that. And there's times that, of course, you have, Daniel, uh, you have uh, the three Hebrew men. Can you imagine those men? They're there down in Babylon and they were supposed to all bow down to the idol. Do you ever feel alone? They were supposed to bow down to the idol. Everybody, a whole sea of people bowed down. Three men stayed standing. You know, that could be a little awkward. 
I remember the time that I went to a township meeting and we were, went in and we sat down and uh, after a while, the supervisor stands up and asks everybody to stand, raise the right hand and pledge allegiance to the flag. And so, of course, I stayed sitting. I was not going to pledge allegiance to the flag. But, you know, that makes you feel kind of weird. You kind of feel like everybody's looking at you. You just kind of feel, you know, that's okay. And the world's going to look on like, what is wrong with you? But it's all part of that separation. We were, my wife and I, oh, some time ago, we're at a wedding. And at this wedding, it, it sh- this wedding should have knew better. The people at the wedding should have knew better. But of course, when the bride comes in, guess what they do? They all stand up. And I looked at my wife and I said, we're not going to stand. So we stayed sitting. Everybody stayed. It was interesting. In front of us, about two rows were some very conservative Mennonites, young people. And they started getting up and they started looking around. They saw us sitting, so they quickly sat down again. There was a young couple who was sitting beside us from our church, and uh, they kept sitting. They went home and they told their parents that we were there and we didn't get up, so we didn't get up either. And the parents called and said, thank you. Thank you for being a good example to my children. Would have been wrong to stand? I think, personally, what, what do we come for the wedding for? To somehow honor the bride to that extent? That's Jesus Christ's position. So we find ourselves at times in interesting places. I am so thankful that in our court systems, today they still recognize you as a, a believer, as someone who would not swear an oath. And so I've been in and out of court for a lot of different reasons, following different things, and it's amazing They'll say, they'll actually offer. You don't have to ask to affirm. They'll offer it to you. That's a real blessing. Separation. Losing separation is historically the first step out into the world. The word holiness means set apart. Hebrews 12, 14 says, Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Oh, maybe you will. Maybe when you get to that gate, maybe it'll swing right. Maybe it'll swing left. It says, no man, no man shall see the Lord. Now, separation, it definitely begins in the heart. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. As we think of separation, it definitely has to start in the heart. There are people who honor separation, and it's, I don't believe, true separation. Colossians chapter 3, very familiar verses. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Him in Christ, or hid with Christ in God. We have to ask ourselves the question. Separation starts in the mind, in the affections, in the desires. And the question for us is, what has worn the biggest grooves in our mind? What has worn the biggest grooves in our minds, that means our mind will tend to go there. It'll tend to go there. We'll just kind of, when the mind isn't uh, 
being geared in a specific direction, it'll tend to go there. Where does our mind go? If I had the freedom to do anything or whatever I want, what would it be? A good question for all of us is, what is our main topic of discussion? We know that attachment to Christ is the only secret of detachment from the world. If it isn't that way, our separation can become kind of unique and um, not very biblical based. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 15.33 that evil communications, they corrupt good manners. And so that's part of why we are not to... Uh, we are to come out, we are to be separate, and we're not to touch. There was a lady who had a canary who sang so beautifully. One summer day, she thought it would be so nice to hang him out in the tree in, in, the, uh, in his cage. And of course, he sang away so beautifully, but eventually that song changed. And she was really saddened. And she took, she took the bird to the bird doctor and said, What happened to my canary? And the bird doctor said, did you have him around other birds? She says, well, yeah. Well, he just learned to sing like the other birds. If a person's mind is walking and staying on Christ, I'm here to tell you it will affect every area of our life. But it begins in the mind. It begins in the heart. That's where the separation has to start. Well, there's a lot of people who say, well, then why do we make such a big issue out of dress? You know why we make such a big issue out of dress? Because the world does. Because the world does. That's why such a big issue out of dress. Why do we make so much of the outward? Because I can't see your heart. I don't see your mind. I can't tell what for grooves you have in your mind. Not very easily. When you talk and what you talk about, those are some of the indications. But definitely, it's the outward expressions that tell really what is in the heart. The outward expressions. So, it's the words that you use, the topics you speak on, it's the way you dress yourself, it's the places you go... It's the things that you enjoy. That is what it is. Historic arguments help build a case for separation. Historic arguments help build a case of separation. You may have heard this already. I'll just read it again. John Wesley, near the end of his life, he said, I am distressed. I know not what to do. I see what might I might have done once. I might have expressly said, Here I am, I and my Bible. Here I am, I and my Bible. I will not, I dare not vary from this book either in great things or small. I have no power to dispense with one jot or tittle of what is contained therein. I am determined to be a Bible Christian. Not almost, but altogether. And he challenges, Who will meet me on this ground? Join me on this or not at all. And he changes his tone. With regard to dress in particular, I might have been as firm as now, see, it would have been far better, as either the people called Quakers or the Moravian Brethren. I might have said, this is our manner of dress, which we know is both scriptural and rational. 
If you join with us, you are to dress as we do. But you need not join with us unless you please. But alas, the time is now past. And what can I do now? I cannot tell. This is about the end of his life. He saw a big mistake. He stood his ground at one time saying, it is the Bible and only the Bible. We will make no practical applications to the truths of God's words. We will take those principles and let each one determine how that's lived out. We're not adding anything to the Bible. He said it didn't work. It didn't work. And today we're still doing the same thing. We're scared to give some practical applications of what separation means. We're afraid to do it. We know it hasn't worked. There's many before that say it hasn't worked, and yet somehow we think, well, maybe we're smarter, maybe we're wiser, somehow it's going to work. Well, now it is clear, separation from the world, separation unto God is scriptural. Are we agreed? It's scriptural. It begins on the inside, and it touches every area of our life. Every area of our life. So, now the question that begs for an answer. Why did Johnny fall out of bed? Elvin, why did Johnny fall out of bed? No? Why did Johnny fall out of bed? Any answers? Yeah. He lay too close to the edge. Johnny, why did Johnny fall out of bed? He lay too close to the edge. You know, when I was a boy growing up, we had what they call a scrape-off. And that's where you scrape all the manure together and there was a slight incline and then it was a deep enough drop-off. You could back the manure spreader under there and you just scrape it up and drop right in. Really handy. Well, we had no guards there, no protection Actually, we used a tractor that didn't have brakes to scrape up there, but because it was an incline, you usually didn't go too far. But anyhow, there was this one cow that always stood right on the edge. And we all looked at each other and said, if she does that long enough, one day she's going to fall off the edge. Anyhow, one morning we come out. Where's Susie? Nobody knew where Susie is, so somebody went over and looked, and sure enough, you could see the tracks. You could see where she landed and where she walked. And Susie was out behind the barn. Why did Susie fall off the scrape off? She stood too close to the edge. Why did Johnny fall out of bed? Because he laid too close to the end. The children born into the royal family are taught and trained and exhorted to conduct themselves as royalty which is by birth. They are, they are an honor to the king only. They are an honor to the king only as they so conduct themselves like the royalty. There are many things they cannot do that are not forbidden to other children. Are you a child of the king? We're responsible to come out, be separate, touch not. He will. God the Father will receive us. We will be sons and daughters. He'll be our father. We're going to be his family. Okay, so that means there are some things that are allowed to other children that are not allowed to us. Can we accept that? 
That's where it needs to start. God has a right to tell me what I may do and what I may not Satan came to Eve and said, uh, did God really say, you know, didn't he put a little too many restrictions on you? Let's turn to Philippians, Philippians chapter 1. We're in Colossians. Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. I think these are some really good words for us as we consider why did Johnny fall out of bed? We lay too close to the end edge. And this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Okay, now we are approving things. We are determining what is excellent. Here is good, here is better, here is best, and here is excellent. So which one are you going to choose? Paul is saying, I pray that you have such a love and that your love abounds and continues to grow. And as that love grows, you will become wise and understanding and have wise discernment. And you're going to be able to look at things and you're going to say, well, that's good. That's better. That's best. But this is excellent. And I'm going to choose the excellent. I'm going to be way over here. So when we when we have a decision to make and we don't know which one to choose, let's choose the safer of the two. Let's, let's always go the safest route. Let's always choose the safer. Let's consider, why did Johnny fall out of bed? I think, I think that we find Christians who would never, never, never go naked. But I wonder why we flirt with it. Why do we flirt with nakedness? We know it's wrong. We know we shouldn't. I mean, people undress all around us. It's horrible. It's disgusting. It's defiling. But yet, we kind of play around with the same thing. Why do we move over as close to the edge as we can? Just, just, just as close as we can. We are supposed to approve the things that are excellent. What is, the question we have to first ask, what is the driving force behind nakedness? Maybe if we understand that one, maybe it would help us to uh, figure this whole thing out. Um, just think for me, with me a minute of the Gadarean man. We have a lot of explanation of his life there. Number one, he was living in and among the tombs. He was a crazy man. He lived in and among the tombs. He couldn't be tamed. He was a wild man. He couldn't be tamed. He broke chains. I mean, they tried tying this man up and he just broke the chains. And night and day, it says, he goes running through the graveyard. He's cutting himself and he's shouting and screaming. And he was a wild man. You know what else? He was naked. He was naked. What was his issue? The Bible tells us he had many devils. That's interesting. We go over to Acts 19. Let's just go over there quickly. Uh, Acts chapter 19. Let's look at another interesting occasion. Where does nakedness come from? Acts chapter 19, verse 11, it says, 
And God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons and the diseases departed from them and the evil spirits went out of them. Then certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took upon them to call over them which had evil spirits. The name of the Lord Jesus. Okay, they, these, these guys had evil spirits. And they wanted this power of the name of Jesus. And so, them which had evil spirits, the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, We adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. There were seven sons of one Sceva, a Jew and chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus, I know him, Paul, I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them and prevailed against them so that they fled out of the house. How? Naked and wounded. So, who is the driving force behind nakedness? It's the devil. That's who it is. Let's be honest. The devil is the, is the driving force behind nakedness. So then my question is, why ever would we ever creep close to the edge? Men like to unbutton their shirt down three buttons and show their best bare chest. What are they thinking? I mean, how close, how much do we want to flirt with the devil? The devil is the, the man behind this nakedness thing. So they like to open up their shirt. Young men like to wear muscle shirts. Like to say, wear, how close do we want to get to the edge? The Bible says that if the love of Jesus Christ is growing in our heart and it's starting to abound, that then it will help us to make wise decisions, have good discernment, and we can look at something and say, you know, that is the best. That's the highest quality. I'm not going to choose anything less than the highest of the highest. I'm going to be well inside. Why did Johnny fall out of bed? He lay too close to the edge. I'm going to say that pretty often tonight because I want that to go with you. Why did Johnny fall out of bed? Because he laid too close to the edge. So we have, we have even some of our... Some of our uh, Churches, you know, they like to go to work with just a t-shirt on. I guess I don't understand. Are we going to flirt with this whole thing of nakedness? Women, they like these low necklines. Again, flirting with nakedness. Why did Johnny fall out of bed? It's historically true. By losing separation is the first step out into the world. So why would we even flirt with it? Low necklines, sleeves that come about here. Hmm. What are we doing? Who's behind it? The devil. Devil makes people naked. One of the uh, One of the churches, it used to be of the charity movement, one of the churches, I'm not going to say the name, it used to be, uh, how would you say it, one of, those, one of the more prominent churches, not the most prominent, so we don't get wrong here, one of the more prominent churches. 
And then started going to work with short pants on. What's the point? What is the point? You know, when God punished, when God wanted to punish the children of Israel, the Jewish people, you know what? One of the things he did says he bared their legs. So you know what that tells me? It's a shame. It's a shame to uncover the legs. Why would men ever want to flirt with nakedness and go to work and walk around home with short pants on? Cover your legs. It's a shame. Sisters, cover your legs. I can still hear Danny Kennison say it. Many years ago, teaching on modesty, he says, sisters, cover your legs. The longer the dress, the shorter the sock. The shorter the sock, the longer the dress. Did I say that opposite? I don't even know. The longer the dress, the shorter the sock. The longer the sock, the shorter the dress. Just cover your legs. You hear him say it? Cover your legs, sisters. Women like to have low necklines, sleeves here. Men too. Come between the shoulder and the elbow. So when we think of shame, uncovering the legs, Isaiah 47, 2 and 3, take the millstone, grind meal, uncover thy locks. That's take off your head covering. Interesting. Uncover the locks. Sisters, take off your head covering. Today, sisters are taking off their head covering. It goes back and back and back. What is excellent here? Uncover the locks. Make bare the legs. So apparently that, that wasn't normal. That wasn't okay. And when God wanted to shame them. Actually, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of horrific, but when, when a nation captured another nation and they wanted to parade these people in front of and just show off all their captives, you know what they did to the women? They would get them to take their dress or their whatever they had and throw it up over their heads to walk through that way. And today, we're flirting with it. We're flirting with it. So, take the millstone, grind the meal, uncover thy locks, make bare the leg, uncover the thigh, pass over the rivers. Thy nakedness shall be uncovered. Yea, the shame, thy shame shall be seen. I will take vengeance. I will not meet thee as a man. That was our God. God specifically is calling attention to areas of the body that are shameful. Now, we would never uncover the thigh. But we get mighty close today. Mighty close. Why did Johnny fall out of bed? God considers it a shame. How close to the edge are we willing to go? Let's talk about another, a number of other things. Why did Johnny fall out of bed? Separation. Hands-off courtship. You know, today we, we have to explain what hands-off courtship actually means. Most people think that it's hands-off. That means as long as I don't touch with my hands. And so they will sit with their knees against each other. They will sit with their shoulders against each other. They will sit and touch toes. Did you have a hands-off courtship? Yeah. I mean, come on, where's the excellent here? 
And I think it's so beautiful. Up to, up to this point, I used, you know, the question is, well, what about shaking hands? And I always kind of use the idea, well, I shake these sisters' hands. And so I really, you know, think it's fine. But there is a group of our young people today and some young married ones that are coming back to me and saying, you know what? Actually, we ought to maybe be choosing the safer. And today, my hat is off to them. There was this... Uh, one young couple in our congregation, and when the, before they were married, they go home to his family, they sit around the table, and they all hold hands. And so it was just normal, you just hold hands. And he didn't think anything of it, it was no problem. Well, after they got married, the young lady said, you know what, that wasn't so wise. That wasn't so wise. Why did Johnny fall out of bed? Because he laid too close to the end. Separation, clear separation. Another one, and this here is in our circles. I don't know if you have talked about it here or not, but the argument for social drinking. Argument for social drinking. That's in our circles. Nothing wrong with the social drink. Really? Is that true? When 10%, statistics say that 10% of all moderate drinkers become drunkards. 10% of all moderate drinkers. That's the ones that say, I can drink alcohol and I won't get drunk. 10% of all moderate drinkers will become drunkards. And they never intended to become drunk. And so how close to the one, why did Johnny fall out of bed? He lay too close to it. Well, they say, come on, prove it. Jesus, he made 120 gallons of of liquor. So why is there anything wrong with it? I say, Jesus made 120 gallons of liquor after they already have well drunk? Hello? Come on. It doesn't sound like my Jesus. It said they were well drunk. And then he makes this 120 gallon. Well, by then they would have been stoned. You know, we have to understand there's two kinds of wines. There's fermented wine, there's unfermented wine. In our New Testament, it does not distinguish We need to look at the context and we need to say now, by the Spirit of God, what makes sense here? Well, it doesn't make sense that Jesus made 120 gallons of strong liquor to people who are already well drunk. When someone's well drunk and they drink a little more, you can be sure they're going to be stoned. That's not my Jesus. I really believe it was unfermented wine. That was a very, very common thing back in Bible times unfermented wine, special recipe to make it. They say that stuff was so good. And depends how you preserved it, determined whether it was really good or just good. And so whatever they served, normally you served the best. And then when people were well drunk, then you brought the lesser stuff. You know, the stuff that didn't turn out just quite right. Here it was totally different. The stuff Jesus made was the best stuff. He did it right. He had the right recipe. Well, then they take you to Timothy and they say, well, Paul told Timothy, drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. Does, would have that had to be um, liquor? I'm told that this unfermented wine had really good stomach tonic. If you were off on the stomach, if you were sick, 
take a little of this unfermented wine. It was so good for you. And I just think that Paul told Timothy, you know, Timothy, you have a pretty strict religious diet. You know, you need to add a little bit of this unfermented wine into your diet. This would be good for your stomach's sake. I personally, and I might be wrong, but I personally don't think it was fermented wine. My question is, how close do we want to get to the edge? How close do we want to get to the edge? Why did Johnny fall out of bed? Just a few more things. You know, we want to be so careful that we are doctrinally right. We want to be doctrinally right. We want our church to observe the teachings of the Bible. But you know when we start flirting with some of them, one of them is that we're losing in churches. We're losing it. And that's the holy kiss. Why did Johnny fall out of bed? He lay too close to the edge. So now we're starting to say, well, you know, that is kind of, kind of, uh, you know, it's not so acceptable in our culture anymore. That was Bible culture. Well, my Bible gives it in five different places, and it's a command. And I just say that if we're going to kind of write that one off as culture, then we're going to have to probably end up writing a lot of other things off as culture also. And so I think we, we're Bible-believing Christians. We believe the Bible. We hold to the Bible. Then we're going to have to hold on to some of these things too. Or guess what? We're going to lose our separation. It is commanded five times. You start down that road of saying it's cultural or it doesn't fit or it's kind of awkward. You probably will lose a lot more too eventually. Why did Johnny, Johnny fall out of bed? Because he lay too close to the edge. I thought of the headship veiling. Then in um, Isaiah chapter 6 there, it gives us a picture of... Uh, the throne room and has the picture up there of the seraphims there before the throne and they have six wings. It says with one set of wings they fly, with one set of wings they cover their feet and with one set of wings they cover their faces. They are before a holy God. That's their posture. I think that's beautiful. You know in... Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says that women should cover their heads because of what? Because of the angels. Now we see how the angels operate. In heaven, the angels are covering their heads. They're in their proper place of submission. And so I believe, and it may mean some other things too, but I wonder sometimes if... Uh, if that doesn't tell us that, uh, cover your head, ladies, because of the angels. The angels are doing it. They're submissive to their head. They are there to serve you and me. And so it's important that we follow through on this thing and we cover our heads. And how often has it been that there has been protection for women because of their heads being covered? And so then we ask ourselves the question, well, um, how close to the edge do we want to go? Do we want to just see what we can get away with? Do we want to back off as far as we can go and, 
and, and, and eventually it'll just be the size of a postage stamp, but we still got our head covered. I mean, in light of the angels, cover your head. Why did Johnny fall out of bed? Because he laid too close to the edge. And so tonight, we, are looking at, we looked at first, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Three commands come out, be separate and touch not. It's our responsibility. If we're willing to do that, we'll be received. He'll be our father, we'll be his sons and daughters, and we will be a part of the family of God. And so we've noticed in Scripture that there is a separation. God is calling for separation. He's given us many examples through the Old Testament. We could spend probably a whole week just discovering all the different things of separation. Separation is really big in God's mind. We know that the first step out into the world historically is that we lose our separation. Then the question is, how close to the edge do we want to go? So, why don't we just step in another big step? We talked about flirting with nakedness. We talked about hands-off courtship. We talked about drinking. We talked about keeping the commands of the Bible. One specific is the holy kiss. We talked about the headship failing. There will be many other things to talk about tonight. One of the things I want you to remember, the question that will go through your mind, why did Johnny fall out of bed? Because he laid too close to the edge. So let's just take, commit ourselves to taking one big step over to the safest. I really appreciate uh, some of the young couples in our congregation. And they're saying, we are willing to take the safest way. We're not even shake hands in our courtship. And so I've come to place say, well, you know what? Maybe I should change what I've been teaching. And not leaving it for, well, you can kind of decide there, because that's how we relate to, married men relate to other sisters. They're saying, no, we want to be on the safe side. God bless them. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, tonight again, we realize that there are some very direct commands that are given to us if we're going to be your children. Please, by your Holy Spirit, just reveal how those things fit into our lives. We see that separation is such an important ingredient. We see it throughout the Old Testament, through and through, right into the New Testament. Thank you for the testimony of Joseph, who many, many years, he definitely still maintained his separation. We realize that, no, we might not step out into the world and be a part of all those parties, but, oh God, I asked you that we would consider by your Holy Spirit how close to the edge are we willing to go. Give us the grace to step over well within this line, outside of the gray. Give us the grace to do it, that we can be a glory and a praise for your kingdom May the church be a testimony of the working of God. Thank you. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.